1: Good morning, everybody. Welcome back into the Philly Sports Power Hour with Bill Calarulo on this fine Thursday. We've had a little over a day now to move on from the Philadelphia Phillies, and like I got, I promised you guys, I'm done talking about it. I'm done talking about it. But we got a great show today. We're going to talk a little Philadelphia Eagles. We're going to bring on my man Mark Farzetta around ten twenty talk to him about the Philadelphia Eagles. I see all you guys in the chat. Let's get a little roll call. What's up, Jay Patterns? What's up, Wine Niners Wine? Bobby Murphy, good morning to you. Who else we got here today for the best hour in Philadelphia sports talk? Who do we got? But you wake up today as a Philadelphia Eagles fan, and it's hard not to be excited. It is hard not to be excited. And that's What I said the other day, as much as that Phillies loss hurt, at least we got our Eagles to turn to now. Because when the Philadelphia Eagles lost the Super Bowl, we had nothing, man. We were done. Had to wait months until the season would start again. But we still got our Phillies. What's up? Let's shoot the shit. I appreciate it, man. Always with the kind words for me. I really do appreciate that. JM, good morning to you. Matt LaGoy, what is up? Jason, a team. What is good? Yes, we got the 76ers tonight as well. And we'll talk a little bit about it, but I know everybody, including me, is so sick and tired of hearing about all this 76ers drama, man. I am done with it. I am absolutely done with it. It's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous what's going on with James Harden and the 76ers. And is he going to show up? And then he shows up, and then he gets sent home. And is he at the practice facility? Like, come on, man. You're a professional sports team. Get your act together. And the blame is shared. It's the 76ers. It's James Harden. It's all around. It's just ridiculous. And as sports fans, it makes it really tough to want to root for these guys when you got all this drama going on about, well, he lied to me, and he said this. Like, come on. You're paid millions of dollars to play a sport that all of us would love to play. That all of us would play on a weekend, take time from our families just to play for fun. And you guys get to play for millions of dollars. And you can't even show up for practice. It's just, I'm so over that whole James Harden saga. So over it. But hey, opening night tonight against the Milwaukee Bucks. So we got that as well. We got our Flyers. You guys know I'm a hockey fan, and we got our Philadelphia Flyers playing some really good hockey under John Tortorella with not a lot of talent on that roster, but they're playing hard. So you got to give them a lot of credit. But just checking in, let's shoot the shit. Can't do Sixers. Organization is a total joke. Decoy Gaming, good to see you, man. 76ers are going to be brutal this year, Decoy Gaming says. Jason A-Team wants to see the new system with the new coach. Let's shoot the shit. Sell the team. Jason A-Team. I wish Josh Harris would sell the team. He owns all our rivals. Jason A-Team loves the Flyers, too. And why Niners whine? The commies own the Sixers, so what do you expect? You know, that bothered me. And I may have been the only one that that bothered. I asked a few people. I was on, I think, Birds 365 talking about it with Jody. And I said, look, I think it's a massive violation. I get it. He's a businessman. I get it. He's just acquiring assets. But how can you own the Philadelphia 76ers and the Washington Commanders? Could you imagine if Jerry Jones owned the Flyers? And don't forget, Josh Harris owns the Devils, too. doesn't bother me as much, but still. Could you imagine the Mara family? owning the Giants and then turning around and buying the 76ers. Like, it's ridiculous. I get it. It's a business. But at the end of the day, what are you going to do? The Sixers are going to have Philadelphia Eagles players showing up to ring the bell, sitting with Josh Harris, who on Sunday is going to be rooting against them? I I just, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. But I see JM in the chat that that's what happens when the players have the leverage. Even if you hate billionaires, their interests align with fans more than the players do. That's true, man. That's true. But we'll talk a little bit about the 76ers. But I want to talk about Howie Roseman, Philadelphia Eagles, and how good of a week this could end up being for the Philadelphia Eagles. Because not only do they make the move for Kevin Byard, we talked about it yesterday who's going to be a huge upgrade at that safety position. Huge upgrade. And what I love is one thing that Howie Roseman has really started to do over the years. And you got to give Nick Sirianni credit for this as well for the culture that they're building. Is they're not only bringing in good players to this organization. They're bringing in really good teammates and just all around good dudes. And you hear what everyone is saying coming out of Tennessee, about Kevin Byard. Yeah, he's a good safety, but this guy seems like he is an unbelievable person in that locker room and off the field. You hear what the Titans are talking about, what he's done not only for their team, their organization, Tennessee in general. So that's what Howie Roseman has continued to do is to bring in good character guys that fit this locker room and fit this culture. And culture's big, man. Culture is big. I know there's some people who think, you know, it may be overrated. There is a reason that good teams remain good teams year after year after year, and it's because of the culture that is built. You can't just sign a bunch of players who have talent. There has to be a strong culture in the building. And the Philadelphia Eagles have done a great job of building a strong culture. And you got to give a lot of credit to Howie Roseman, a lot of credit to Jeffrey Lurie because I think it does come from the top, and a lot of credit to Nick Sirianni for the culture that he has built. But I see you guys in the chat. What's next? Is Howie Roseman done? And I don't think he is. I mean, there's way too many rumblings going around. That Howie Roseman is still looking to upgrade this football team. The question is where. And I know the name Patrick Sertain, the second's being floated around. If you have the opportunity to get a player as good as Patrick Sertain, it's a no brainer you make that move. But I'd be shocked if the Denver Broncos would trade him away. I know the Broncos stink, but you don't trade away a player who can become a cornerstone of your defense. I just can't imagine that the Denver Broncos would be that dumb as an organization to trade away a guy as good as Patrick Sertain who hasn't even hit the prime of his career yet. Guy's still 23 years old. He's only three years into his rookie deal. So as a team, you still have control for the next two years. There's that fifth-year option. He was a first-round draft pick. So I have no idea why that name is being being floated around. Scott Chairs, I'm with you, man. Why trade a guy on his rookie deal? It makes no sense to me. That's a name that keeps coming up and keeps coming up. So sometimes where there's smoke, there's fire. But I'd be shocked. If the Denver Broncos traded away Patrick Sertain, then they truly may be the worst organization in the NFL. Because you don't trade a guy who hasn't hit the prime of his career who at the age of 23 years old already has a first-team All-Pro on his resume. And you still have control of his contract for another two years. Would make zero sense. But hey, if Howie Roseman can make it happen, make it happen. And I know the Philadelphia Eagles have Darius Slay and James Bradbury back there. But those guys are both over 30. And if you have the ability to bring in a guy like Patrick Sertain at 23 years old, you do it. I don't care what you need to give up. i trade a first-rounder, no doubt about it, in a heartbeat for Patrick Sertine. Hell, the Broncos took him with the ninth overall pick in the draft two years ago. But again, I just can't imagine. I cannot imagine that the Denver Broncos would be that freaking dumb. And I see you, Barbara Carroll. Good morning to you. Forte, how are you doing today? Eagles fan, what is up, my man? Love that you guys spend this hour with me. I really do. I mean that wholeheartedly. I really appreciate that you take the time to sit here with me and talk Philadelphia sports. But I'd be shocked if they were able to get Patrick Sertain. But I do think that Howie Roseman isn't finished. And I just I don't know where he's going to go. And we talked yesterday about how I think he needs to bring in a bigger running back. What's up, Twiz? Good to see you, man. But I still think he needs to bring in a bigger running back. And Jacob took a little clip of what we were talking about here on the show yesterday, and they posted it to Twitter with me saying that I wish that they would bring in a bigger back to be a nice change of pace to DeAndre Swift. And people on Twitter, man, commenting like crazy. He's already on the team. He's already on the team. It's Rashad Penny. You don't know what you're talking about. They already have a big back. It's Rashad Penny. I've said it before on this show. I'm going to say it again. I really think it's time for us to give up on the dreams that Rashad Penny is the guy we saw in Seattle. I was excited, too, when they signed him in the offseason. You see his highlight reel. You see his stats, 5.9 yards per carry. But the guy must not be the same guy anymore. These injuries must have gotten to him. I have faith in this coaching staff. I don't think they just would not activate a guy who has that type of potential if they still felt like he could play. But guys, we got to realize Rashad Penny has not played in an NFL regular season game in over a year now. The last game he played was October 9th, 2022 against the New Orleans Saints. And that's where he got hurt and was out, of the, out for the year again. So if this guy still had it, if he still had that ability that we saw in the first couple of years with Seattle, I highly doubt that he would be not even activated for game day. So when I say I think the Eagles need to bring in a big back to be a change of pace to DeAndre Swift, it's not Rashad Penny. I know he's still on the team. People on Twitter thought they needed to remind me that Rashad Penny was still on the team. I know he is. And he's still not getting any playing time. Even with Kenny Gainwell missing a game, Rashad Penny didn't get any playing time. So, he's not the answer there. And I see Scott Shears talking about a fullback. Yeah, man, many teams don't use a fullback anymore. Your San Francisco 49ers use a fullback. But I started the show saying that this could be a great week for the Philadelphia Eagles. And now that we're talking about the San Francisco 49ers, this is what I mean by being a great week. Not only did the Eagles get Kevin Byard, not only are they sitting here 6-1, the only 6-1 team in the NFC, There is, in my opinion, a very strong possibility that this Philadelphia Eagles team could go up two games on everyone in the NFC after week eight. First, the Philadelphia Eagles have to take care of business, and we'll continue to preview the Washington Commanders game later today and tomorrow on our Football Friday. Dave Spadaro will be joining us tomorrow. But you look at these other teams that are within a game of the Philadelphia Eagles, and I really, truly believe that all four of them could lose on Sunday. You got the San Francisco 49ers. They're going to be without Brock Purdy, most likely. Brock Purdy's in the concussion protocol. And they're playing a Cincinnati Bengals team who hasn't looked like the Cincinnati Bengals of old but I believe they've won two games in a row. And you're going to roll out Sam Darnold. Also still, no Trent Williams at practice. No Debo Samuel. If our 49ers fans in the chat, admit it, my man. You're a little nervous this week with the Cincinnati Bengals coming to town. So you got the San Francisco 49ers who could really easily lose that game to the Cincinnati Bengals. You have the Dallas Cowboys coming off a bye playing the Los Angeles Rams. That game's in Dallas, but that is a game I could see the Dallas Cowboys losing. Los Angeles Rams are coming off a tough loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think they gave up two touchdowns late in that game to lose to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Cowboys are favored in that game. But it would not be a shocker if the Los Angeles Rams go into Dallas and win that football game. And you got Micah Parsons loving the Philadelphia Eagles. Anybody in the chat, did you guys see what Micah Parsons had to say about our Philadelphia Eagles? It sounds like this guy wants to be on the Eagles, doesn't it? I mean, look, I appreciate him being honest. I appreciate his honesty, but if I saw a Philadelphia Eagles player throwing that much love the Cowboys way, I'd be a little nervous, and if you guys didn't see it, I'll read to you his quote. On his podcast, he said about the Philadelphia Eagles, they're very special. Number one would have to be the Philadelphia Eagles. No one has stopped the tush push yet. Devontae Smith could be A.J. Brown's number one receiver. Jason Kelsey, Hall of Famer. Lane Johnson, Hall of Famer. He then goes on to say their D-back core, Darius Slay, crazy talent, James Bradbury, and I know you saw the trade, Kevin Byard, very special to see. Obviously, I was highlighting Jalen Carter before he even got to Philly. I don't even know how he fell to them. It's very special to see what they've done. They still have Reddick. They still have Sweat. I don't believe they have any weaknesses. That's coming from Michael Parsons, man. And I see you guys in the chat. Eagles fan, he wants to be an Eagle so bad. Barbara Carroll, I saw it, doesn't trust Dak. Jim G, I saw that, Bill. Micah is begging to play here. The real RMP, Parsons wants to play for the Eagles. He's a hometown guy. JM, Jerry will never allow that to happen. He'll pay Parsons whatever he wants. You're probably right, but he definitely has a lot of love, Micah Parsons, for this city. Definitely has a lot of love for this city. But they could easily lose to the Los Angeles Rams. Not saying that they will, but it could happen. That Rams team could bounce back in a big way. And we all know you never know what's going to happen with the Dallas Cowboys and the way they play. And then you look at the other teams. So we talked about the Niners could lose. The Cowboys could lose. Then you got the Detroit Lions. They play Monday night against the Los Angeles, excuse me, not Los Angeles. Las Vegas Raiders, that would be more of a surprise to me. If the Raiders go into Detroit after Detroit just got absolutely whooped by the Baltimore Ravens, and then you got the Seattle Seahawks as well who don't have an easy game, Seattle plays the Cleveland Browns this week, and we know how good their defense is. So this could end up being a very good week for the Philadelphia Eagles. But really, who? what I would love to see more than anything, yeah, Jim G, I agree. Raiders are awful. I'd be surprised if Raiders are able to go in there and win. But this could be a very good week if really three things happen for me. Eagles win. Cowboys Niners lose. If the Philadelphia Eagles could go up two games on the San Francisco 49ers and Dallas Cowboys and just get Kevin Byard, I'm feeling pretty damn good after week eight sitting there seven and one two games up on everybody in the division because we know how hard the schedule is going to get in a couple of weeks so it could be a great great week and I see the question in the chat would you give up Hassan Reddick for Micah Parsons I don't think we'll ever have to make that decision but it's kind of hard I look Hassan Reddick Should have been in the defensive player of the year conversation last year. Hassan Reddick's one of the best defensive players in the league. But, I mean, what you're seeing Micah Parsons do is historical, man. I mean, you see him take over games. There's not many defensive players that have ever played the game who do some of the things that Micah Parsons does. But, thankfully, his quarterback's Dak Prescott. so. (laughs) <laughs> they can lose a lot of football games. But, guys, we're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we're going to be joined by my man, Mark Farzetta, my partner in crime on the Jacob Sports pregame and halftime shows. I know I said we weren't going to talk any more Phillies. I got to just get a quick point from him on the Phils because we know how much Farzy loves the Phils. But then we'll talk a little Sixers, a little Eagles. So stay right there, guys. Farzy will be back right after the break.
0: Go to get your game on.
2: Since 1977, it's always been about you, the community, at Rafferty Subaru. And through the Subaru Love Promise, we prove we care by supporting charities like So Good Now.
0: So Good Now helps kids in under resourced areas by connecting them with student athletes to serve as mentors. We remove barriers so athletes can help youth in the corners of our communities where light and love are needed most.
2: When you choose Rafferty Subaru, you help organizations like So Good Now.
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome back into the Philly Sports Power Hour with Bill Calarulo. And like every Thursday, we are joined by my man, Mark Farzetta, the one and only Farzy. What's up, brother?
2: Uh, you know, nothing much. I forgot the beer again. I really wanted to drink a beer with you for this segment, but uh, I'm out. I'm out in the house. After uh, drowning my sorrows after the Phillies loss, I, uh, I'm out of beer. So, uh, Miss Guzzi. Miss Guzzi.
1: Yeah, I promised our viewers yesterday that we were only going to talk about the fight in Phil's and that disappointment for a half hour yesterday. Then we were going to flush it and not talk about it again. But I did tune in to your Phillies post-game show right here on Jacob, man. And I I felt your pain, dude. <laughs> I felt your pain. And we'll talk very briefly. We'll talk very yeah. briefly. But yeah. You know, yeah. Just a quick, farzy, not to relive it, man, but <laughs> – How how disappointed were you, man? How disappointed were
2: you? I I went through a whole thing of emotions. Like, I got done – we did like a 45-minute, maybe an hour post-game show uh, after the last game and and all that. And, like, I talked about all the emotions I had. I talked about the, you know, the anger, frustration, disappointment, blah, 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 blah. And then literally, you know, I I go to – finally go to bed at, like, 1, and I'm brushing my teeth, and then the other emotion hit me. I was like, hold on, there's something I'm missing here. It's a feeling that I have. Like, what is this? And I realized the other one was embarrassment. The Phillies were supposed to have this amazing home field advantage, and the Phillies fans did everything in their power to create the greatest atmosphere that you could possibly have to support you, and it still failed. Like the the fans went out there, did what they were supposed to do, and for the for the team to not respond to that in a positive way, whether it was Aaron Nola in Game Six or it was the bats in Game uh, Seven. It was. It just all fell apart, and it was like they couldn't take advantage of the vibes that were created, and that for the what was supposed to be the greatest home field advantage for the, to, to lose those games was embarrassing. That was the last emotion I felt, other than then still the frustration, the rage, and the continuous cycle of emotions that I go through. But man, it was just such a great. There was no party in South Philly like a Phillies baseball you know, postseason party. Like, the tailgates for Eagles games are great. The tailgates for Eagles uh, playoff games are great. But as far as the in-stadium atmosphere, nothing beats playoff baseball. And, man, that crowd was ready to go, and the Phillies didn't respond. It was its just – it sucks. It really sucks to lose both games at home, and all you had to do was win one, and you're in the World Series, man. It sucks.
1: Yeah, and especially how frustrating it was. You're sitting here on the couch watching that game, feeling so helpless – Watching them just have bad at-bat after bad at-bat. Nick Castellanos, how many low and away pitches is he going to chase?
2: 27. I have the
1: number. 27. 27 is the number. (laughs) I'm glad you asked. 27. (laughs) Man, right on on cue there. Right on cue. Well, let me ask you, and then we're going to move on from our fighting fills. But if Mm -hmm. you had to lay the blame, the majority of the blame on one person, Or one thing, what would Mark Farzetta say? This is the reason that the Philadelphia Phillies lost the National Uh, League Championship.
2: The number one reason is they didn't hit. You can't have four games in the NLCS with one of the best lineups in baseball, whatever, one of the most expensive lineups in baseball, and you can't score four runs in three losses. Like, that's terrible. In in two of those games, you scored one. One of those runs, you scored uh, two. You can't have offensive outputs like that. I mean – I know people are pissed at Rob Thompson, and uh, look, you, the Craig Kimball decision, absolutely. Both times you see him. I don't know how you don't see Michael Lorenzen earlier than you saw him in this series. I don't know how you see Taiwan Walker or don't see Taiwan Walker at all, whether that's a bullpen role or a starter's role. I still agree with the decision to start Sanchez. But once you make that decision in game five to start Sanchez, you can't take him out that early. You, I, I literally said at the time it happened, you're now setting this up for Craig Kimball to blow, blow this later in the game. And sure enough, there we were. So either you go, you don't go to the bullpen at that point. Maybe you, go to, you keep Tywall Walker loose. Maybe you keep Michael Lorenzen loose and have those guys ready to go, guys that have you know early game experience, and you have them pitch. But to go to the bullpen as early as he did, the way he mismanaged it, it was terrible. But number one, I go to the bats. Number two, I go to Rob Thompson for going to Craig Kimball. And then after that, it's pretty much a
1: distant third place after that. One last question about the fight in Phil's because this is something that bothered me when it happened. We talked a little bit about it on the show yesterday, and I got people in the chat's opinion. I want yours. Fourth inning, game seven, bases loaded, two outs, Rojas at the plate. Are you pinch-hitting for, no, pinch for Rojas that early in the game? I'm not pinch-hitting
2: uh, for Rojas that early in the game. I'm not. You're The the chess match people are forgetting. I mean, it's easy to just say, why is he hitting? Well, then you got – they already had Maniply up in both situations where you could have pinch-hit for Ro- Rojas. They just would have made you burn two players early. So then for the rest of the game, I got to have a subpar center fielder? No, thank you. I, that was one thing that I know a lot of people were up in arms about uh, with Rob Thompson that – um uh, I just didn't feel was was justified. The one situation, though, with Rojas getting the at bat in Game Six in the seventh inning, I think it was same type of circumstance in terms of you got to make two moves to justify one. Uh, I didn't understand if he was batting in that situation, why he's not bunting in that situation in Game Six, Game Seven with him batting in the fourth inning. I I understood. I, I knew, and I didn't expect Rob Thompson to make a change at
1: that moment. So you and I usually see eye to eye on everything that one Uh I disagree with the fourth fourth inning because I would much rather a base hit there makes it a four one game Mm -hmm. with your bullpen set up with even Zach Wheeler having the ability to come out of the bullpen. I just think you you keep it going there. You get another two runs in. But by putting Rojas, you're basically saying bases are loaded. But we're going to let them out of this jam because we know Rojas <laughs> isn't going to get a hit.
2: Okay, so then the other side of it is you then have what you would have to do some sort of double switch move Rojas or move Mars Mar- Mar- to, Mar- Mar- to center. And then Cave is out of the game because you've already used him. So the well, Schwarber then go in left? Like, what's
1: the counter move to that? Yeah, because like you're that, gonna, the pitcher, who would you have hit? Would you have, if they put Cave? Then they bring in Maniply. Yeah. Now is it now it's probably Pache hitting, right? Pa, yeah, it's probably Pache. So then maybe Pache then goes into so, left field. So Pache goes to left. You yeah. Move Marsh into center field. And I'm okay sacrificing the defense at that point if you're able to make it a 4-1 game. Now look, yeah. if he would have done it and Pache doesn't get a hit. Now it's 2-1 and you got a weaker center fielder. Mm -hmm. Let's move on. (laughs) (laughs) on, I'm so so ready to move on, man. But before we move to the feel-good team, which is, in my opinion, the Philadelphia Eagles this week, and I'll talk to you a little bit about Kevin Byard and the week ahead, let's talk about another team that doesn't have me feeling very good. But it's opening night tonight for the Philadelphia 76ers. And what the hell is going on with that organization and James Harden, man? Uh, Well... I love the idea of saying, hey, you know what, Harden,
2: we're not ready for you yet. Why don't you sit it out? You know, you missed a week. and missed another couple of days. You know, ramp yourself up. That's the word that uh, Nick Nurse used was the whole ramp-up idea for James Harden. We've been ramping up for the last week, and he's, you know, doing whatever, and it is what it is. Um, what's going on? Well, the Sixers, I think, would still – like to trade him, but they don't want to trade him for nothing. James Harden would still like to be traded, and he doesn't care what the Sixers get back in return. However, that's a little bit of a problem. If you're not going to get a good return on the trade, then you're not making the trade. Uh, I, I think a lot of people are just out on the Sixers. They'll watch. They'll watch for the entertainment. They'll watch because they like basketball. But for the Sixers, it's going to be the same thing it's been over the last couple of years, which is you have 82 games of preseason play, and then you have the postseason, and we just go, okay, let's watch them get a bounce out of the second round again. But this time, depending on what happens with James Harden, you might not even make it to the second round. I mean, the, the East is loaded, of course, with the Bucks and the Celtics, both getting better this offseason. So the Sixers, as far as I'm concerned, haven't gotten much better. I like the addition of uh, uh, Kelly Oubre. I like the, I like the addition of um, Patrick Beverly. But for me, this season, what I'm looking at, I did a list of some top five things that I'm looking at for the Sixers season. At the end of the year, I look back on it and I go, these are the positives I want to talk about. One is obviously trading James Harden and moving on. The other, after that, the most important thing as far as I'm concerned, the best storyline that can come out of this season, other than everyone else gets hurt and the Sixers somehow win a championship, um, is Tyrese Maxey being an all-star. I would love to see Tyrese Maxey as an all-star. I'm sure we all would. But for that to actually happen would mean you would see this giant leap from him. He's already that kind of caliber player. For him and Joel Embiid to represent the Sixers at the All-Star game, I think would be fantastic. And for Tyrese Max to take that leap where he's not just respected here in Philadelphia, but he's respected even more so than he already is nationwide by other coaches, I think that'd be the best thing to take out of this season. Uh, after that, I'm looking at Nick Nurse to hopefully get Ty, um, Tobias Harris playing at a higher level for two reasons. One, if he's playing at a high level, this Sixers team is all that much better. And then also, if he's playing a high level in the final year of a contract, he's a bigger trade piece to use at the trade deadline. So those are some th- things that I'm really looking forward to about this season of saying at the end of the year, these things happened. We're in good shape going forward. If it's one ask, I'm asking, I'm asking the Sixers, to give us something to look forward to in the 2024-2025 season. This year, I do not have high expectations. I'm not optimistic. I'm optimistic about very specific things, but not the overall success of the team. Just give me something to look forward to next year,
1: because this year is not going to be great. Frustrating, man. It is frustrating. And what's crazy to me is if you would have told me in the offseason – That the Philadelphia Flyers may actually get more wins than the Philadelphia 76ers (laughs) this year. I would have told you you were crazy, but this Flyers team's playing pretty hard, playing pretty hard. And I see people in the chat saying, hey, don't forget about our fly guys. But (laughs) yeah, it's the Sixers will probably be overwhelmingly average this year, is what I think is going to probably happen. I just don't think that starting five that you're going to roll out without Harden is going to be able to compete. But yeah, no, no,
2: they're going to be entertaining they they're going to they're going to they're gonna win, you know, 45, you know, to 50 games. They're going to be a good regular season team. They're going to get their wins. But when it comes to being an elite team, no, that's that, that ain't happening. Um so that's
1: it's disappointing, but that's just what I've come to accept when it comes to the 76ers. Well, let's move on to our feel good team because at least we still have the Eagles to fall back on. And that's what I've been saying to our viewers is Philadelphia Phillies heartbreaking loss, but now Thank God it's still football season because when the Eagles lost the Super Bowl, it's like, now what do we do? We got to <laughs> wait months until NFL football, but we still have our Philadelphia Eagles. We've been talking a lot about Howie Roseman being Howie Roseman and making this trade for Kevin Byard. How excited are you about that addition?
2: Uh, well, let's put it this way. There's two ways to to look at this, and both are very optimistic. Obviously, there's no downside to this. Number one is that you have the third best defense in all of football in terms of yards per game, and you just added Kevin Byard to it, okay? The other way to look at it is last year, a week before the season, as we all know, the Eagles made a trade for a slot corner named Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. They made him a safety, and they made him a damn near Pro Bowl safety, all right? So what are they going to do now when they've added a two-time All-Pro safety to their secondary? That sounds pretty damn good to me. Jalen Carter's playing at that high level, of course, on the defensive line. The defensive line is killing it. Uh, now you have made your secondary that much better, and Sean Desai has proven many times over that he is absolutely worth every ounce of being a defensive coordinator and a play caller in this league. I love it. This is a phenomenal move by Howie Roseman, and, man, what a 20, 48 hours for the Philadelphia Eagles. They improved to 6-1. and one. Uh, The Niners wet the bed. Uh, you add Kevin Byer to an already stacked defense. And you're the best team in the NFC, record-wise. You're the best team in the NFC as far as I'm concerned. Um, You and the Chiefs are 6-1. and It's a beautiful thing. That was one hell of a 48-hour period for the Eagles. So I I love this move. I love the versatility of it. I love how it screams Brian Dawkins, Malcolm Jenkins, and to a lesser but still a similar extent, a guy like Chauncey Garner-Johnson coming in here with the versatility. Speaking specifically of versatility – That's what this guy brings to the table. Um, So the Eagles have done a phenomenal job again, and I don't see any hiccups with him making the transition into this defense.
1: And you mentioned that they just shut down the number one passing offense in the NFL on the Dolphins, and that's what I love about Howie Roseman. They literally just shut down that number one passing offense, and Terrell Edmonds played 100% of the snaps, and Howie Roseman says, you know what, though? Let's bring in an All Pro season. <laughs> well, Typical the, Howie, man. Typical I, Howie. I love it. You held it to seventeen points. You held the Dolphins to seventeen points with this defense, and lowest point really total they've had seven. all year. Really seven. <laughs> was really, yeah. Excuse about. me. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. You'd because ten touchdown. of them.
2: Yeah, ten of them were off turnovers, man. Yeah, yeah. The pick six and the and the field
1: goal. Yep, absolutely. And, and I'm going to give uh, me and Farzi some credit here because if you guys tune into the Jacob Sports pregame show every Sunday. The panel was me, Farzy, Seth Joyner, and D Gunn. But there was only two people on that panel who picked the Philadelphia Eagles and both of them are on the screen right now. Mm-hmm. So good job, yeah. Farzy.
2: That Derek Gunn said what the hell do they know about football? Please. <laughs> Come on. Well, we did,
1: had
2: a good Did they deal. play at Gettysburg? Did they play at Gettysburg? That's right. Answer me one question. Did they play at Gettysburg?
1: Did they play Did they play freshman football at Archbishop Wood High School? I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> That is right. I'm going to tell I'm going to tell Seth you said that on Sunday. <laughs> I'll open with it. I'll, I'll open. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but let's talk about that game a little bit against Miami and I talked about this yesterday on the show about how impressed I am with Sean Desai and not only what they did to the Miami Dolphins, but what they are doing with new pieces almost every single week in the secondary. And now over the last 3 weeks, Farzi, they shut down the Miami Dolphins. Obviously, the New York Jets don't have a great offense, but they also shut down the Los Angeles Rams, who have a very good passing offense, mm-hmm. and in the last three weeks, that defense has only given up 183 yards, and it looks like a different secondary every week. How impressed are you with Sean Desai?
2: I'm blown away. There's no other word to describe it, and you might say it's it's being a homer, but I... I love – the the my most impressive thing that I've seen from Sean Desai so far this year is even in the Dolphins game. The most impressive thing I've seen from Sean Desai this year is the adjustment in the second half to just take away Cooper Cup with the Rams, to just take away the passing game. They were getting eaten up in that first half. What was it, 98 yards, five catches I think it was, for Cooper Cup in the first half. And then in the second half they shut him down to 25 yards. I, I mean, what have, we, what have we been asking for for the last two years with Jonathan Gannon, especially in that Super Bowl? Where's the adjustment? Where's, where is it when the game plan is hitting the fan? It's not going well at all. So where is the rewrite at halftime? Where are you coming out to make those adjustments? How are you coming out to make those adjustments? Are you making those adjustments? And to see Sean decide to do that in the Rams game was phenomenal. To see the way they were able to shut down that passing attack was great. Yes, this, the Dolphins win is fantastic, but to see the second half adjustment is even better. Like Any offense can have an off day. Any play caller can have an off day. But to actually make adjustments when another team is just handing you your lunch, feeding you your lunch consistently, and then you go in the halftime, you go, okay, let's make some adjustments, let's just change it around. That, to me, showed me the most about Sean Desai this year. Oh, and one last thing. If there was an under-the-radar guy from last week that a guy that I did not expect to be singing the praises of, Eli Ricks. We were talking about it throughout the game in the green room. He playing physical at the line of scrimmage. Making sure that corners or making sure that wide receivers weren't taking the fastest route to the ball, throwing their timing off by using his body, and that's not just a physicality factor at the line. That's making sure that they're having people run on the outside route as opposed to the inside route, and making sure that timing is off between them and Tua Tagovailoa. So seeing that last week was fantastic from Eli Ricks, and I haven't noticed Eli Ricks. I haven't seen Eli Ricks play in a positive way since the preseason. So to see him do that when the red carpet of opportunity was rolled out in front of him.
1: That was fantastic. I love how fearless he is. man. You're going yeah. up against the number one. Well, one of the number one, because I'm giving A.J. Brown the number one title right now. But <laughs> one of the number one wide receivers in the NFL. And he just didn't back down. He battles. Yeah. Love that mentality from Eli Ricks. Yesterday, we were, I was talking about Eli Ricks in that secondary. And a couple of people in the chat were talking about Keely Ringo. And, oh, did the Eagles swing and miss on him? And I want to know if you agree with me. Is Look, we knew he was a young corner coming out. We knew it was going to take some time for him to develop, and I don't think the Eagles had any anticipation that Keely Ringo was going to contribute this year. And he still has a lot of potential. It's just he's raw, he's young. We got to be patient with with Keely. You agree? Uh, yeah, I,
2: I guess. Uh, if 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 it was, I don't like saying swing and miss when I wasn't expecting that much. Like. You know what I was expecting from Keely Ringo? I was expecting Keely Ringo to be at least what I've seen from Eli Ricks so far. That's what I was expecting. Like, at least give me something positive to take away from something you have done through now seven weeks of the season. And I, I haven't I haven't had that. I had big expectations coming out of the preseason, and now that's just dashed. As of right now, he has not been a productive a productive player. Obviously, Eli Ricks has been more of a productive player than Keely Ringo. Yes, I don't like – I hate the word patience. You know what I mean? We all want to jump on the uh, decision right now. But, yeah, when you invest a pick in him and he was highly talented coming out of college and as far as a guy that could be somewhat of an impact player at the professional level, I think we're going to have to wait for that traditional two to three years to see if a guy is really going to develop into a solid professional athlete. Maybe that's what the future holds for him. But right now, it seems to be a little delayed in seeing what he could be as far as a productive player goes at the NFL level.
1: Well, sticking with that secondary for a second, so one name that keeps getting floated around that potentially could be available, and whenever there's a name of someone available, Howie Roseman's usually right behind it because he's just always looking to improve this team, and that's Patrick Sertain II from the Denver Broncos, who's just an absolute stud. He's still very young. He's still on his rookie deal. He already has an all-pro under his belt. Do you think there's any chance that the Denver Broncos would be dumb enough to trade Patrick Sertain right before he's about to hit the prime of his career. Uh, yeah, I think they'd be
2: dumb enough to trade him. I think they, they need a reset button and everything that's out there with the potential of two first round picks and all that stuff for Patrick Sertain. I don't see the Eagles being the ones to pay that price, but I see another team paying a high price for him. And yes, I think the Broncos with this, I mean, talk about a swing and a miss. Russell Wilson as their quarterback. Huge swing and a miss.
1: Maybe one of the worst trades in NFL history right there.
2: Uh, And to think that the Eagles were supposedly right there on the doorstep of that being an Eagles trade and him being the Eagles quarter. Russell Wilson right now reminds me, he reminds me of the quarter. It's so perfect that these two are together. Uh, Sean Payton and Russell Wilson, because I really believe that these guys who were great somewhere else have taken a nice retirement gig with a big fat paycheck for their last hurrah in the NFL. And that's what I believe both those guys are doing right now. For the, for those guys to be together right now, I think is just if you're think about this. If you're a hater of the Broncos, if you're a Chiefs fan, Raiders fan, whatever, if you if you hate that, uh, that Broncos team, this has to be the most beautiful thing ever. They're doomed to a rebuild in the very near future. So when the questions out there, or the rumors are out there surrounding Patrick Sertan II and whether or not he's going to be moved. Oh, I think that they are not just they are juicy. They are real. They're not just throwing crap against the wall to see what sticks. That's not it at all. This is a real thing. They are standing at the doorstep right there of a rebuild, and I think that one of their best trade pieces right now is obviously Sertan.
1: Hey, if somehow Howie Roseman was able to get Sertan on this team, Jesus. I like I totally agree with you,
2: but I don't see him making that move. I think they have – I think they have good corners right now, and obviously Bradbury and Slay. And Slay, I think we all believe, is still hampered by the knee injury. I don't think he has just all of a sudden become untalented that quick. Um, But he's still able to make that big play. He read the play right. I know everyone says it was right there for him, the interception at the end of the game there against the Dolphins. It was, but he still made the play, so I give him credit for that. He has not been as good as we have seen him in years past, especially the first half of last season. I still think he is a more than serviceable corner. I still think that about James Bradbury, but I don't see the Eagles making that aggressive of a move. Like If you really look look, look back on the moves that Howie has made, I think it was Field Yates that really summed it up well. You're talking about, what, a first and a third for A.J. Brown, and then you're talking about later round picks, like a fourth and a seventh for DeAndre Swift. The first round pick moves really aren't there for Howie Roseman. They are, I don't want to say bargain shopping because you don't get a guy like uh, Kevin Byer, when you're bargain shopping, but he certainly knows how to price the trade value right. And I don't think a, two firsts are really being thrown into the mix there for a guy like Patrick Surtain, And I think that's what it's
1: going to take. Yeah, you may be right. You may be right. And real quick on Darius Slay, people talking about how maybe he's not the same guy. He was the highest rated defensive player on the field against the Miami Dolphins by Pro Football Focus. They gave him a 90.5 grade. And even more impressively, he was a 90.4 in coverage so pro football focus i say it all the time not the bible but they do a good job so yeah they had, they had slay rated pretty damn high that's one of those that's one of the numbers that they've given out like i just saw they they rated the eagles offensive
2: line the best offensive line in football with two guys at the best at their position jason kelsey was like fourth as the be- fourth best center in the nfl but uh, whatever but there's certain, certain numbers they come out with and i'm like yeah i know you guys are watching this a little different than i am but okay i'll go with, hey if it's positive for the
1: eagles it's right if it's negative it's wrong That's how it it goes. Well, let me get your opinion now on the offensive side of the ball because there's a move that I've been saying that I'd like to see the Eagles make, and that would be to bring in a bigger running back to be a change of pace with DeAndre Swift. And I gave these numbers out on my Instagram channel that if you remove week two and week three where the Philadelphia Eagles running game absolutely dominated Minnesota and Tampa Bay, and you just look at the other five games these running backs are only averaging 3.4 yards per carry, which would put them 28th in the NFL. And I know a lot of people want to point to Cam Jurgens being out, uh-huh. but I also think if you give this team a big back, doesn't need to get a ton of carries, five to seven carries to complement DeAndre Swift, who should still be your lead back, I think that could help this running game immensely. And people have been saying they already have him, Rashad Penny. I think the Eagles have zero faith in Rashad. <laughs> I'm so, shocked he's still on the roster. Yeah. So, would you make a move? Doesn't have to be a big move. I'm not talking Derrick Henry. Doesn't have to be a big splash, but maybe a bigger back to go with DeAndre Swift in that backfield.
2: I uh, wouldn't mind to see it. I don't have it high on my priority list right now. Right now, I need to see the Eagles call run plays. I mean, I can't have Jalen Hurts outrunning my running backs in terms of attempts. I, I, I can't have that. I got to give the ball to DeAndre Swift. And like you mentioned, maybe a lot of that is Cam Jurgens not being there right now. But I think it comes down to play calling and game planning. I, it drove me crazy last year when we talked about RPOs with Shane Steichen. And we talked about it with Nick Sirianni about how, yeah, we call runs, but it's part of the run, the RPO. So then it gets the option, then goes to a pass option. And then I'm like, well, then maybe take, and I don't set joiners on this all the time. Maybe then just call a run. If you want to run, call the run. And if if it's not there and you end up passing, then that's what happens. But maybe then you run – you check down to a different run play. Maybe that's that's the way that works. So that drives me bonkers. It drives me bonkers that a guy like DeAndre Swift can get to the outside – if you want to run away from your right guard, by all means, run away from your right guard and go to the other side of the football. Maybe you actually go with more 12 personnel. You have the other tight end out there, and you're actually, should be 11 personnel. You have another tight end out tight end out there, and you go out there, and you handle your business that way. But for me, to just see them get away from DeAndre Swift, to see more runs by Jalen Hurts than your running backs, that is a travesty. And Jalen Hurts just talked about it, I'm sure we'll talk about the knee issue in a second, but if he is hurt and he's dealing with that and could potentially make it worse, why wouldn't you trust your running backs more? That's a decision I need to see the Eagles make as early as this game against the Commanders so that they're preserving their quarterback, he's taking less hits, and you're actually putting the ball in the hands directly of a guy who can make a play for you like DeAndre Swift.
1: And and I agree with you. They got a call runs. That was something I was really frustrated with against the New York Jets because they did not give their running backs enough carries. But I do want to give Brian Johnson credit – Against the Miami Dolphins, they were very balanced. There was 34 runs, 31 passes. 23 of those runs did go to the running backs. Mm-hmm. Still 11 runs by Jalen Hurst. Some of those are scrambles. Four of them, I think, were tush-push plays, or three of them were tush-push plays. <laughs> right. But still, yeah, you'd like to see them not have Jalen run as much. You mentioned the knee. I had Dr. Chris Radcliffe, orthopedic surgeon, on my Legal Hands to the Face show on Tuesday night, and he made me feel really good about Jalen Hurts knee basically saying he doesn't think it's anything serious and then you see the injury report come out yesterday Hurts isn't even on it right so I mean do you have any concerns about Hurts knee or do you think we're going to be all right here yeah no I am concerned <laughs>
2: I am I mean I it also like I know everyone will say all oh, this happened in the Jets game and Bill you and I our jaws hit the ground when John McMullen was on the halftime show with us oh, and he was man. like well you know he's been limping around and we're like I'm so, say what now <laughs> yeah
1: You're I'm like lim- John um <laughs> Like hurts second half, halftime looks like hurts may be limping. Do you know? Uh, did he get hurt? He's like, Yeah, he's been limping all week. I'm like, John, where the
2: hell's that been? <laughs> anyway, um, so that is a concern for me. It's, I put it like this this morning I said, It doesn't concern me in week eight going into week eight, it concerns me for like week 13, week 14. Like, how bad is this going to get? He was very close to the vest when he talked about it yesterday at his press conference, as one would assume. Uh, he said he's day by day. He's just handling it day by day, taking it day by day. One thing he said that really bothered me though, Mike sealski asked a great question. He said, has, has this changed the way you play the game? Essentially was the question. Is the knee injury enough uh, of a knee injury? Is, is the injury enough to make you change the way you play, the way you think, the way you, you run or whatever? And Jalen Hurts was like, no. And basically he knows what he was getting at. Stay inside the pocket. And then Jalen Hurts said, I, I've never been hurt as a runner. We saw the Chicago saw game. Yeah, yeah. We, we've been heard as a runner. I think, this is, I think this is something that did not happen against the Jets. My own personal theory is that this is something that maybe happened in week one, maybe in week two, maybe it happened in practice, maybe it even happened leading into week one of the regular season because he has not looked like the same guy. He has not looked as agile. He has not looked as quick. He has not looked as fast. And I have definitely seen – more hesitation, more tentativeness, more caution when he runs the football. I mean, we go back to what, week two against the Buccaneers, and he goes into that slide well short of the first down when the when there was nobody in front of him. He just goes into the slide, and instead of it being a first and 10, it's now I think a second and five. Um, it didn't make any sense to me, and that's not the Jalen Hurts we have seen in years past. I think he has stayed in the pocket more this year. I know you can get hurt in the pocket, so I'm not ignoring that. But if he's got a knee issue, it's not worrying me now. It's the wear and tear that could get to him by later in the season, week thirteen, week fourteen, week seven, like right before the playoffs, God forbid. So yes, anytime there's any kind of injury, especially with the agile, uh, with the uh, with the um, mobile quarterback, like a guy like Jalen Hurts, yes, I am concerned about it.
1: You're you're right there, Farzy, But we have been saying every week we watch the games together, like. What's going on? We were asking D gun too. Yeah. What's going on? Is, is he injured? And we thought maybe he was just being a little bit more tentative when he ran. So he didn't get hurt, but you could be right. This could have been maybe something that's been bothering him for a while. We'll have to keep monitoring it. But yeah, so that people in the chat don't go crazy here. The one positive was what Dr. Radcliffe said is this type of injury should heal itself as the season progresses, even with him playing on it. So let's hope, let's hope we're okay. Well, well real quick, what is the injury then? Well, no one really knows what Radcliffe used his educated medical opinion was mm-hmm. it was probably some sort of MCL strain, Oof. and that's why you're seeing him wear the brace. It just helps with stability a little bit, but the good thing about the MCL is that blood flows in that region, and it can help self-heal, but we will see. But guys, everyone who's here in the chat, this is our Thursdays with Farzy. If you like it, please smash that like button. Hit that share button. The more Philadelphia sports fans we could reach, the better. Before we let farzi run, we watched the game together like we do every week. Week four, Washington Commanders. We thought that game was over a couple of times. Ends up going to overtime. Eagles still win. I'll give my prediction tomorrow on our football Ooh. Friday, but let's get Farzee's prediction. Do you think there is any shot that this Commanders team can keep this game close like they did in week four?
2: Uh. uh. I, I I'm gonna refrain from real optimism for quite some time. Thanks, Phillies. But in all seriousness, I I right now, not official. This is not my official prediction. I got crunched a couple more numbers. Okay. All right, I
1: got but
2: you. as of right now, I'm in the realm of a 27-20, 27-17 type of Eagles victory. One thing that I was unaware of. I knew that Sam Howell was having a really bad season in terms of sacks. I didn't realize he's on the same sacks per game uh, trajectory than Derek or De- David Carr was to set the all-time sacked record in the NFL. He's been I'm sacked seven,
1: forty times already. he seventy-six.
2: He's on pace, I believe, for eighty. So he's a little above Der- uh, D- David Carr. David Carr got sacked seventy-six times in his rookie season with the Houston Texans. And Sam Howell is on pace to get there, like to get to like there and beyond. He's on pace to break it, basically. And he's facing an Eagles defense that got to him five times in week four. Yep. So this is going to be a lot of fun. If you're Jalen Carter, if you're uh, Fletcher Cox, if you're Brandon Graham, Josh Sweat, Son Reddick, oh,
1: man. Yeah, you're excited.
2: Oh, this is going to be a fun week, man. This They, they got the Carson Wentz, what, uh, in, uh, last year, nine times? They may pass
1: that. They may pass yeah. that on Sunday. And guys, before farzi runs, let's just show you how smart Farzi is. He said 27-20. The Philadelphia offense is averaging 27 points this year. The Washington defense is averaging, giving up 27 points. Right? The Philadelphia defense is giving up 20 points this year. And the Washington offense is scoring 20 points this year. 27 20. You may be right right there, my man. Right Look there. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. Farzee. It's gonna be it's gonna be 50 to 12, by the way. It's gonna be a weird, ugly score. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> well, Farzy, I appreciate you, brother. I love these Thursdays. I will see you on Sunday. We got an early game for once. Ah, thank Sunday, goodness. one o'clock. So, guys, make sure you tune in every morning from six to seven. Farzi does the Farzy show, both here on the Jacob Sports and on Farzy's Network. And then obviously, game days we do together pre game, halftime, and post game. can't thank you enough, my man.
2: My pleasure. Always gonna catch up with the bill. Everyone in the chat, thank you. I'll uh
1: see you Sunday, my friend. See you, brother. Awesome. Always good having Farzi on the show. And these hours, man, this hour just flies by, man. It really does. It flies by. But tomorrow for our football Friday, we're going to have Eagles insider Dave Spadaro here. We will spend the whole hour previewing the Washington Commanders game. We'll go through some of these stats. I'll give you guys my prediction, I'll get all your predictions. But again, guys, can't thank you enough for spending this hour with me. I really, really enjoy it. So smash that like button. Smash that share button. Let me see you guys in the chat. Everybody have a great, great Thursday. Maybe the Sixers deliver us a win tonight. We will see. But I'll talk to you guys tomorrow morning, 10 o'clock. And again, if you want more content, follow Legal Hands to the Face on Instagram. Follow me on Twitter, posting a bunch of stuff every single day. So talk to you guys soon.
0: Go for the polls